Hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to chat a little about our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. It is now September, which means, you know, the summer hiatus is just about done. We're looking forward now to, you know, training camp later on in the month, preseason starting October, and then we're right back to it mid-October. Another great NBA season in front of us. Hopefully another great season for the Miami Heat. Which, yeah, we shall see. Uh, But for today's topic, uh, since we're coming back from the summer break, last time I left off, uh, we were talking a little bit more so about free agency and about potential trade speculation involving Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell. And since then, those situations have resolved themselves. And that will primarily be the topic of this episode. Uh, Guess you could sum it up nicely (laughs) as Pat Riley's whale hunt uh, is over for now, uh, but definitely is over for the moment. So yeah, let's get right into it and just discuss, you know, what the hell happened with Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell and supposedly them coming to the Miami Heat. We'll start with Kevin Durant. So the news is that Kevin Durant has rescinded his trade request from the Brooklyn Nets to stay with them at least through the upcoming season. Uh, essentially, the trade talks died down not too long after he initially announced it. Um, you know, there was the occasional scuttle, hey, you know, oh, the Nets said that they wanted this player. Oh, the Suns say that, this, the, you know, Devin Booker's off the table for them. Miami with, like, Bam Adebayo as well. And those mainly just came across to me more so as just the the kind of little leaks of news information you tend to get around big long-term trades like this. Once things go stagnant, essentially one side or the other will, will leak some information to try to see if they can apply a little bit of leverage here or there. Ultimately, it ended up not being much of anything, mainly because the Nets, um, to the credit that I will give them for this, were adamant about only moving Kevin Durant if they got an absolute monster haul. I mean, we'll bring this up again a little bit later on, but it just needs to be stated again how the Rudy Gobert trade earlier in the summer, which to recap that one real quick, Rudy Gobert was traded from the Utah Jazz to the Minnesota Timberwolves for something like four first-round picks. I think they were at least... Three out of the four were unprotected. Point there being, though, Rudy Gobert, a star player, you know, in a good year, he's All-NBA. He's won a few Defensive Player of the Years because he is great in the regular season at defense. Uh, but just to say that this is, you know, still not quite the top-tier star that a Kevin Durant would be. So, therefore, if Rudy Gobert gets four first-round picks... You need something more than that if you're if you're going to be trading for Kevin Durant, and that ultimately became the issue. Um, so to to make it like a long story short, right? So you can only trade out picks up to I think it's eight nine years in advance, right? And because of the Stepien rule, you can you must have at least one draft pick every other year, meaning that if you can only go out eight or nine years in advance and you have to have at least every other one that you must make yourself for the draft pick, that really only limits you to about four or five future draft picks that you can trade. So just going off the Gobert trade alone, you know, and trying to at least just match that, essentially takes out your entire future draft picks that you have available for trade. And granted, you could go beyond that, like if you have another team's draft picks, but that's more of a rare exception than norm. Like, usually if you have other teams' draft picks, it's because you've already traded away your stars and you are relying upon those extra draft picks, you know, just to get more shots at trying to get a future star in the draft. So if you already have a bunch of draft picks, uh, you're probably in a bad situation. You're not going to trade for Kevin Durant in the first place. If you do want to trade for Kevin Durant to become competitive, 
you probably don't have a ton of draft picks, or at the very least, the the other ways that you can make up in a trade, which would be things like you know young players or great role players or good quality contracts, things like that. If you're competing, you need to hold on to those. And that kind of was the takeaway I, I felt from this Kevin Durant Nets saga was the Nets sitting there going, hey, we have pretty much given Durant just about everything he wanted, and now he wants outs, even though he's already on a multi-year contract. No, 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 no. If Kevin Durant wants out, then we as the Brooklyn Nets are going to make damn sure whatever team he's traded to has absolutely nothing left. We have the leverage to request all of that because it is Kevin Durant, and you know that, hey, you have to outperform the Rudy Gobert trade, otherwise we look like fools. Uh, So you combine those two, and essentially you get to a situation where the Nets were going, hey, Kevin Durant, either you stay here in Brooklyn and we compete here for a title, or since we have to trade you, we will no longer be competitive, then we're going to make damn sure whatever team you're traded to has no assets left to actually be competitive with you. So in other words, either we try to win together or we lose together. Ultimately, Durant decided to stay and tried this win-together approach. Now, Durant did try to apply some additional pressure. I mean, there was a famous thing, I think it was early August, where Kevin Durant essentially went to management, uh, management, like, sorry, ownership, not management, ownership, above management, because he wanted the general manager and the head coach Steve Nash fired, which I always find funny because he was the one that pushed for Steve Nash to be there. But regardless, this is a, you know, top player in the league trying to, you know, cause a little bit more friction and essentially try to force his way up. Because now that's a situation where he's pretty much saying like, hey, even if you do keep me, I don't like the head coach. I don't like the general manager. This is going to be a shit show going forward. And the Nets, I still think to their credit, didn't blink. They said, cool, enjoy. Uh, stay on the roster. You're st- we're not trading you unless we get an absolute banger of a package. No such package materialized because there was, I don't think, any team in the league that had the right combination of of you know picks and trade assets available to do that while still remaining competitive with them. Uh, but just to say that Durant did try to apply some more pressure for a trade, but that was more of, of general pressure. And to go back to the Heat's fans' perspective of this, I I said way back when this Durant trade first started, the only way I saw Durant ending up on Miami is if Durant applied pressure to specifically go to Miami. Uh, We'll touch back on this point a little bit later on, but that pressure to go to Miami in specific, the only amount of that I ever saw was just Durant saying like, hey, I would like to go to the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat, which rang more as him just going, hey, who were the number one team, well, number one seeds in each conference? Yeah, I'd like to go join those teams. So not really pressure to go to Miami in specific beyond just, hey, pressure to go to the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. So with that, understandable to me why there would never ended up being any major traction between Miami and Brooklyn for a Kevin Durant trade before Durant, again, ultimately rescinded his trade request and is going into the season with the Brooklyn Nets. However, this could be something to keep an eye on as the season progresses, but given KD's contract goes through to 2026, and again, the, the trade demands the Nets already made over the summer, I don't see any reason why they would lower it, even with another year off of Kevin Durant's contract. So given the, the Nets' trade demand already, I, I still just don't see it likely for Kevin Durant to, to end up in Miami. Again, barring a like no-holds-bar, I absolutely must go to the Miami Heat kind of thing, which I just don't see out of Kevin Durant. And even then, I 
don't know if the Heat can put together a, a good enough trade package to satisfy what the Nets want in return. Because again, like I said back on in the, the first pod about Durant, um, the Nets are the ones in the driver's seat for this kind of situation, not the Heat and not Kevin Durant. And so ultimately, out of the Kevin Durant saga, I mean, you know, a lot of the basketball pods got some good content out of it for, for the summer months, which I guess was nice. But ultimately, the I guess you could say the Nets won it because <laughs> they, they kept Kevin Durant. I mean, sure, you could say, oh, they, well, they could have gotten an insane haul. I really don't think that insane haul was there for them. I think it was more so just posturing and using the Gobert trade as an excuse to say, hey, sorry, Durant. We got to do way better than what the Jazz got for Rudy Gobert, and that's just not out there. You know, whether or not that ended up being the case, the, the end result is still the same. Kevin Durant on the Brooklyn Nets through to the next season. Maybe we can keep an eye out for it as the season progresses, but I, I again, I, I prefer to manage expectations than overhype, and I really don't see enough there to be hyped about in terms of Durant actually coming to the Heat. I mean, obviously, if he were. That's amazing. It's gonna. It would be super cool. It just doesn't seem very likely to me to happen. So um, I don't want to really dwell on it any more than that. So we'll move on from Kevin Durant and now talk about what ended up happening with Donovan Mitchell. So Donovan Mitchell from the Utah Jazz, formerly now a part of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, so bearing the lead, didn't want to bury the lead there a little bit, but backtrack a little bit. This one was interesting because you know Donovan Mitchell never made an official trade request like Kevin Durant did. It was just highly, 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 highly speculated because the Jazz already blew up and traded Rudy Gobert primarily for a bunch of picks, essentially signaling that they were going to go into a rebuild that could last three, four, five years, which doesn't really jive with a Donovan Mitchell who, whilst you know, relatively young in terms of years of experience, did enter the league at an older age. I believe it was 21 that he entered. So he's 25, almost 26 right now, so entering his prime. So it's, it was already going to be a really tough sell to be like, hey, Donovan Mitchell, as you are entering your prime and you have the next four, five, eight, however many years of this prime, why don't you waste three or four of them while we rebuild and wait for draft picks to come um, in the next few years? No, everybody kind of knew that this was a not a tenable situation. Maybe they tried to keep on Donovan Mitchell for a year just to see see how it looks. But, I mean, nobody was terribly surprised when the news came out that Donovan Mitchell was traded. The surprise came from the fact that it was to the Cleveland Cavaliers, not the New York Knicks. So, like KD, a lot of the trade talks died down around as Utah seemed to be zeroing in on the New York Knicks for a similar-ish type package that they got for Rudy Gobert. You know, let's get a ton of draft picks and then worry about the rest afterwards. Not so much players so much as it is picks. Because, again, Utah, from the Gobert trade, was looking to do this a rebuild over multiple years. So makes sense that you target a team like the New York Knicks that have a bunch of their future draft picks. However, it ended up being to the Cleveland Cavaliers that Mitchell got traded to for uh, Colin Sexton, you know, solid uh, young player that can, you know, kind of lead the team in scoring. Not not as good as Mitch. It's kind of like a, a good situation for the Jazz in the sense that I don't believe that Sexton is as good as Mitchell in the sense that he's going to elevate the team so high that they don't get a good draft pick. But I do think Sexton's good enough that it, it can still draw some interest to the Jazz and at least keep Jazz fans satiated, hopefully, for a few years. Because, again, this rebuild is going to be long. But 
Colin Sexton, uh, Laurie Markinen, who was just a, a pretty solid starter for um, the Cavs, Ma- mainly as I understand it was salary filler because you did have the match, Mitchell Salary. Uh, the rookie that the Cavs drafted this year, I'm going to butcher this, Oche Agboji. Um, hopefully I got that a little bit close. I apologize if I had got that wrong. I probably did. But the main haul from this trade for the Jazz Three unprotected picks. That is very rare to see nowadays. You almost always see protections of some kind. Just in the in the case that, that a worst case scenario happens, you know, star player gets injured or requests a trade or you know whatever. You have the season from hell that everybody nobody can seem to win a game. But because of those reasons, you typically always see some protections, especially if they're really far off picks, just because you don't know your situation you know, four, five, six, seven years from now. Um, So hence, you put protections on this. But the Jazz were able to get three unprotected picks, which convey in 2025, 27, and 29, and then also two pick swaps in 26, 28. And the pick swaps are just, they're kind of ways that the NBA has been able to find a way around the Stepien rule. Because again, Stepien rule states that you must draft your own pick at least every other year. Um, so one way you can get around that is a pick swap, which a pick swap is essentially just a bet that your team is going to be better than the other team. So that way you can swap your, you know, later pick in the draft for an earlier pick in the draft from the other team. The point here being though, is between 2025 and 2029, the Jazz either have the Cavs pick or have the better of the two picks between theirs and the Cavs for five years. That is still really significant. And yeah, between what they got from the Cavs and then also the four picks that they got from Minnesota, um, this tells me two things. It tells me, one, that the Jazz were willing to just tear everything down to the studs and rebuild over the, pretty much over the remainder of the 2020s. Um, which does sound very much like their new GM, Danny Ainge, his kind of style. I mean, this is partially what he did with the Boston Celtics, where he traded away Paul Pierce um, and Kevin Garnett to the Brooklyn Nets in what eventually got them a haul of draft picks back. And those draft picks literally became Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who were the core of the team that beat us. So I can't fault Danny Ainge for going, well, it worked once, let's try again. Um, And then the other thing that this told me was not only were they looking for draft picks, a lot of them, but they were looking specifically for draft picks from teams with a history of being really bad. And yeah, sorry to Minnesota and Cleveland fans, but the Timberwolves and the Cavaliers, respectively, have been historically bad teams for a while. So I understand. Why is that important? Well, because if you sit there and you say, hey, well, I could either have... Miami Heat's next four draft picks or, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves' next four draft picks. Just, just, again, we're talking vaguely here. But in general, if you look at the history of those franchises, Miami always stays competitive. They are always pushing for the playoffs. They typically find ways. Like, I mean, you go back even to the 2016-17 year. That was, um, we started 11-30 and and we finished 30-11 and to still, you know, finish just outside the playoffs. But point there being, though, even in really bad years, the Heat find ways to stay competitive and still finish fairly well. But if you're looking at it from the, from the perspective of, 
like, okay, I have that team's draft picks. That's really bad. Even if I have them unprotected, it doesn't mean anything if they never fall below 10th. Like, oh, I could have Miami's, you know, next few draft picks where I can have the 12th, 13th, 12th, and 16th draft pick. Or I could have the next four from Minnesota, which, given they're a historically bad team in a vague sense, not you know, trying to dive into specifics right now, but those Minnesota picks could be something like, if I had them unprotected, that could be something like, I have the third pick, the fifth pick, eighth pick, um, you know, okay, maybe one of those is an 11th pick because they had a really good year that year. Point though being is, statistically, you're better off betting on Minnesota and Cleveland, and by extension, New York, who was the other one that Utah was in the trade discussion with, with for Donovan Mitchell, you're way better off betting on those three teams continuing to be historically bad versus trying to gamble on the Miami Heat being bad. It's kind of a compliment, <laughs> I guess. I mean, there was the other part where Danny Ainge from the Utah Jazz and Pat Riley from the Miami Heat historically do not like each other, so that also would have complicated trade talks. Egos like that do get in the way. Um, but just to say that, like, I, I do understand why, you know, even in this situation, the Miami Heat, though they did have a few draft picks to offer and Tyler Hero and everything else, yada, yada, I don't, didn't really think that they were a compelling trade package for Utah, primarily because of what Utah and Ainge were looking to get out of this deal. A bunch of draft picks from a historically bad team. In that situation, Miami does not qualify for either of them. They did not have as many draft picks to offer as the Cavs or the Knicks, and they are a historically good team, this average at worst. Point there being, though, is their draft picks are not as valuable, or at least not as perceived as valuable, as a Knicks or a Cavs would be. It sucks. It's a little kind of suffering from success kind of thing, but... Yeah, uh, that's just how the dice ended up rolling this time around. That's why, I, again, like when I was talking about it before, I was just trying to manage expectations and be like, hey, I don't think this is very likely. I would love for it to happen, but it doesn't seem very likely. So, yeah, Durant didn't pan out. Mitchell didn't pan out either. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit fine with the Mitchell thing just because I, I think like in a best-case scenario, Tyler Hero could replicate what we were hoping to get out of Donovan Mitchell in terms of just, like, shot creation, uh, things like that, he does still need to improve. But just to say that we, we could potentially fill what Donovan Mitchell would have provided for us using something that's already, someone that's already on the roster. And then the other part of it would just be that we would have spent pretty much all our assets to get Donovan Mitchell, who still would not have addressed the problem that Miami's for, like, say, if we had spent everything on Kevin Durant would. Like, at the very least, Durant would have answered the problem at the four. Mitchell would not. So it does suck striking out twice for Durant and then Mitchell. However, you know, of the two, Donovan Mitchell might have been more of a lateral move to maybe slight improvement move. So, you know, it's not the worst thing to happen to Miami that they still keep hold of the rest of the, what, you know, was almost a finals roster. So before we wrap up here, I just kind of want to talk like in general, just some things that we, you know, both as Heat fans and general NBA fans can learn from these last two trades that happened. You know, but again, with the more so emphasis on Miami, because this is a Miami Heat podcast. So overall, Miami really did not have the best trade package, uh, nor did they have the superstar in a position to push themselves to Miami to make up for those lack of trade assets. 
So, uh, for example, both Donovan Mitchell and Kevin Durant were on multi-year deals that ran through at least 2025. So, you know, you got at least the next three seasons um, on their contracts. So their bargaining power was greatly diminished. And what I mean by that is, um, is more so the best way that I think is a phrase it is to look back at what happened with Anthony Davis a few years ago where he eventually got from the New Orleans Pelicans to the Lakers. So at the time, like New Orleans really did not want to trade Anthony Davis to the Lakers. So why do they do it? Well, Anthony Davis only had a year left on his contract, meaning the if the Pelicans did not trade him like pretty much that summer or by the next trade deadline, they would have gotten jack nothing for Anthony Davis, which would have been absolutely catastrophic. So then you go, okay, well, still, that doesn't mean that they have to trade him to the Lakers. Kind of, yeah, actually, because Anthony Davis then went out and because you know, at the time there was a lot of talk like, OK, well, maybe New Orleans will trade him to the Celtics. And through his dad, if I remember correctly, essentially said, hey, Celtics, if you trade for me, I'm still leaving next year. And so what does that do for the Celtics? They go back to New Orleans and go, hey, why are we giving you everything if this guy saying he's going to leave us next year? And New Orleans goes, OK, all right, sorry, Celtics, we understand. Oh, well, and then they pretty much just go around the rest of the league and all the league says the same thing, right? Like, hey, if this guy's going to the Lakers next year, why are we giving you all these assets now? And ultimately, the New Orleans kind of felt themselves pigeonholed into trading him to the Lakers. They did get a good haul from him, but just to say that was a situation where Anthony Davis and, you know, by part as well extension LeBron James acting through the agency and blah 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 but just to say that this is a situation where the superstar was able to apply pressure to the organization to get him to a specific place but that pressure was predicated upon his ability to just leave for nothing the following year that I feel is the key difference and what we we need to learn from this past summer Kevin Durant was signed for multiple years so the Nets were able to call his bluff and say hey we will hold on to you for multiple years. If you don't want to play it for us, cool. We're not trading you until we get commensurate value for you. And if that means that you walk in four years and we never got that value for you, well, guess what? Then neither of us are competing for titles for the next four years. You don't want to do that, Kevin Durant. And ultimately, Durant realized that and is now staying with the Nets because he did not have that ability to say, hey, I am walking next year if you don't do this. So get something for me now. Same thing with Donovan Mitchell. uh, Granted, Mitchell never publicly gave a trade request, but even if he were, it would have been a similar situation. Hey, dude, you're on contract for the next three or four years. You have no say in the matter, so deal with it. Um, But yeah, and ultimately, Mitchell ended up being traded, but only because that was what the Jazz wanted to do and they felt they got commiserate value for him. But yeah, so that's what I kind of mean when I say that the superstars themselves were not really in a position to apply pressure and leverage to get to Miami. They really did not have much beyond just, hey, would you please trade me? But the other problem, I kind of glossed over a little bit, we'll go back to it now, was just the Heat not really having the best trade package. So the Heat can, like the biggest holdup for the Heat is a trade that they made several years ago that, long story short, essentially results in them owing either their 2025, it's a uh, top 10 protected, 
Uh, and if that doesn't convey, meaning it would have to land within the top 10, like say we have a disaster year in 2025 and we get the eighth pick in the draft, then that pick does not convey to who owns it, which would be the Oklahoma City Thunder. And instead, that 2025 pick becomes an unprotected 2026. Uh, and then, you know, it doesn't matter if it's first, second, 10th, 12th, 30th, whatever, then it just goes. Um, conversely, say 2025 comes around, Miami finishes with the 16th pick. Well, that 16th pick is not top 10. It goes to Oklahoma City Thunder. The Heat now have their 2026 pick as it would normal. The problem there is because of that either or statement, like either the 2025 pick or the 2026 pick and the combination of the Stepien rule, essentially the Heat have, like their long-term future is a little bit limited in terms of what draft picks they could give out. So like, for example, they cannot trade their 2027 pick right now. At least not without altering that the 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 pick that they owe the Oklahoma City Thunder. Because say you know we have that situation right, we get the eighth pick in the 2025 pick. That draft, um, sorry, that pick does not convey to Oklahoma City Thunder until 2026. Well, then by Stepien rule, we have to have a pick in 2027. That's why we can't convey it. Um, we can still convey 2028 or 2029, because again, stepping rule still applies, and long story short, um, essentially just makes it a situation where the Heat have 2023 and one of those later in the 2020s picks that they can offer. So two unprotected first-round picks. Not a lot when you have you know Rudy Gobert going for four picks and Donovan Mitchell going for three unprotected and two pick swaps, you know that kind of thing. Like Miami just doesn't have the firepower without altering that deal to Oklahoma City Thunder. I personally think they they should. Maybe you could just get away with something as easy as hey, we'll just remove all protections on 2025. Then. That means that 2026 they keep because of Stepien rule. They would have 2027 to offer. 28 they keep Stepien rule. 29 offer. So they'd be able to offer 23, 27, 29. At least that's that's more than the two that they have you know to offer right now. And then give pick swaps and all that on top of it as well. But these are still all hypotheticals. The situation as it stands right now. Um, Miami does not have a surplus of draft picks that they can just throw in for any sort of superstar trade. They do have some good young players. I mean, we look at like Tyler Hero. We have some good role players uh, like Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, Victor Oladipo, Dwayne Dedman, like players that are on cheap contracts that, you know, you can get them off the books quick. A solid role player with some decent long-term money in Duncan Robinson that that deal is only going to get easier to trade as we go along yada 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 but the main thing that seems to be the takeaway nowadays is multiple first round picks of which the heat have to do some work to get more of so yeah that that's the future outlook um may seem a little bit bad right now i mean we, the heat have been getting kicked around a little bit because you know they swung and missed twice on durant and mitchell and everybody knows riley loves to go whale hunting like this so when he sw you know misses like this everybody likes to point and laugh it's like well you know what I'm fine with it. I am always of the opinion that any title-winning team has to make gambles at some point or another, whether that's gambling on a role player doing well or somebody being healthy um, or just, you know, oh, will this draft pick work out for me? So, you know, any way you do it, you have to make gambles and you just want to make smart gambles. And even if they don't pan out the way that you want them to, you can still look back at the situation and go, you know what, that's a good gamble. 
Um, I, I think this was worth it to, to take a gamble at least on Durant Mitchell, maybe see if there was some way that they could have applied leverage. I mean, in retrospect, we know that, you know, that was foolish a little bit to expect that, but it wasn't a bad idea to try to increase Miami's, up, you know, ceiling. So with those gambles played out, we now look forward to see what we can do about obviously winning next year. Um, really, the, the big, glaring, giant, obvious, can't-overlook-it hole for the Miami Heat is the problem at the power forward position that has you know, risen because of the departure of P.J. Tucker. And the big question for me is, what does Miami do to fill that hole? Well, <laughs> I'm going to tease a little bit. We're going to talk about that next week what Miami could do with the gaping hole at power forward position. But that'll be all for this episode. Glad to be back, though. Uh, please be sure to follow the pod at Heaters Heating off Twitter and myself at KBR Heat Nation. Also check out the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball off of Twitter. I'll be back next week to talk about the gaping hole at the power forward position. Until then, hope you all have a good one, Heat Nation.